Welcome to Funding the Future, a special edition of Category Visionaries, where instead of interviewing founders, we interview the VCs and angel investors that back them with capital, resources, and advice. Now, let's jump straight into today's episode. Hey, everyone, and thanks for listening. Today, I'm speaking with Neil Fandar, founder and GP of Utopic Ventures. Neil, thanks for chatting with me today. Thanks for having me. No problem. So to kick things off, can we just start with a quick summary of who you are and a bit more about your background? Yeah. So I've been a founder for the last 13 years. I've started two companies. The first one was Avelin, which is a testing lab where we did product development for pharmaceutical cosmetic supplement companies, really figured out what makes products good and bad and how to make change the ingredients to make them better. And so we ran that business for a number of years, sold it to a larger lab. And then through that process, I realized that there are 9,000 different labs in this country and almost all of them are B2B labs. And so there really needed to be people's lab, an independent lab that did all of this testing, but publicly for consumers like a modern consumer reports. And so we built that with Labdoor over the last 11 years. And so the raised 7 million in seed series and they went to Y Combinator in 2015. And through these two companies, being the scientist and CEO, being learning the Silicon Valley style of fundraising through Y Combinator, CD Series A, I really saw that the scientific funding approach is really broken, especially at the very, very early stage. That first 50 to 100 gate deck is so hard to get. People either try to raise it, you know, small checks at a time for 50 to 100 people. They pitch for years trying to get that money, or they take a little bit of money from the university and then the university owns all the IP and then it's not really startup fundable anymore. And so we're losing all of the science and losing all these great potential founders because we're not funding them the right way. And so that's why I want to build a VC firm around that. And what's that process been like for you transitioning from being a startup founder and CEO to the founder of a venture capital firm? What's that whole transition been like? I think the actual pitching process is very similar. So you're one into a very precise niche. So a five million first fund it might be very similar to raising a hundred K first check in terms of the scale of the type of people you're trying to invest from. It's still individuals in each case, almost like angel investors. So if you're a five million first fund as a VC, it's mostly going to be individuals who make up that five million dollars and they mostly already know you before you do the fund. And so trying to raise that money in that first batch is a interesting challenge because you get to do all the fun process at the beginning of a startup, which is thinking about what your true niche is, what are the first customers, the most precise people that you can help them most, and how do you build a firm and a structure around that. And so that really was what led me to the idea of a fund that would invest the first fifty hundred thousand dollars in biotech startups led by scientists CEOs. That whole thesis really comes from where I came from, which is that I saw for over plus years that that wasn't being funded. And so once I saw how precise of a niche it could be, then that's the we're the only VC fund in the world that it's just me that does that. And so it's in way in startups where you get to. You have to get sharper and sharper with your vision until you're the only person who does it. Then you kind of make that bigger and bigger and bigger. And so that process is, in my 
sense of the entrepreneur, the most fun part of it. And so as a VC too, navigating that idea made the fun. And is the model more like a traditional VC fund or is it more like the Y Combinator model? I think it's like a traditional VC. And I also think that Y Combinator has become somewhat of a traditional VC over time. As they get to bigger checks, they're getting higher up in the funding stack as well. So they're getting closer to a round right before a series at this point. And what I'm to be is the horizontal bar below Y Combinator. So really that first check, first in biotech, just a little slice of the pie, and then build up over time to more and more of that horizontal. What I really love is first check for everything. And so I think a lot of VCs, when they get more money, they like to go vertical and try to own biotech or they own climate or own AI, but for every level. And what I would love to do is actually just own first check for everything. Hmm. Super interesting. And from your perspective, how would you summarize the state of venture capital today? I think there's a lot of companies and firms that are all kind of bundling around the same ideas. And so you're seeing more and more money going to fewer companies. And so that's also rallying around how the funds are operating. So fund sizes are getting bigger. And so now you're seeing 200, 300, $400 million funds, but the two or three partners are still only looking to invest in 30, 40, 50 companies on that $200 million. So they have to deploy a lot more capital per company. And so even though we have more VC dollars in aggregate, the number of companies we're funding has not gone up. And so that bothers me, one, because really throwing the pie, but also missing all these big funders. And these are the founders that I talk to all the time at that very early stage of the scientists. If you could actually fund more of those people at the I'm going to go less valuation and write those 50 to 100K checks. You have the ability to, you know, take 10 times or 50 times as many shots on goal and still have you know, the same overall portfolio or bigger and these are decent. And so I think one of the challenges there is you have to manage a bigger portfolio, but taking that work makes a much higher potential reward because you're getting at these companies. And how many companies per year are you trying to invest in? Is there a number that you have in mind? So I would do at least 10 per year out of a $5 million fund. I think that I'd love to be able to scale this up to 50 plus, 100 plus companies per year, right? First check for everything. And so I've been thinking about even how a billion dollars fund would look. And I still would invest all of the capital at the earliest stages. That first check, first up to $500,000 round, I think is where there's a lot of value in helping the companies and the founders bridge that gap between product market fit and not. And that's one place where YC, because it's such a sharp program and it's so competitive now, people are almost doing that first. They're getting product market fit, then getting into YC, and then raising a lot of money. And that works well. It's an accelerator in a YC take something that's already working and makes it better. But there's been kind of an interesting spot to now go back to the original vision of YC and actually help people get to that product market fit faster. And when you're backing biotech startups, are they a long ways away from reaching product market fit because you're investing you know, pre-seed, your first check-in? Is that a long way out for them? Yes, but it's actually surprisingly, it can be shorter depending on what type of biotech it is. And so there's more risk in it at the phase one phase two level if you're going to pharmaceutical. Uh, uh, in industrial or agricultural biotech application, 
to prove a concept and to do virtualization much faster than you could potentially been in hardware, deep tech, or some of these other categories. And so is actually getting to be faster now than it was before. And now also with um, the, since 2020 with the mRNA vaccine being possible, and that really kind of ended it cool enough the four minute mile to some extent where once we got one mRNA vaccine out, now we just have so many more that are coming to pipeline uh, that are kind of coming through and being tested now. And so the speed is actually going up now. And so from all those reasons, I think it's really valuable for uh, the earlier in biotech. The thing that I love to do is actually find the specific test or milestone. So uh, a lot of scientists will come to me and they already have proof of concept for a breakthrough idea. At that point, there is $50,000 of scientific testing that needs to be done to get from proof of concept to being ready for preclinical. And so I'm really just a job trying to take them from proof of concept to preclinical at that level. It's just that first step. And then I'm expecting them to take the rest of the steps themselves, right? The founder plus the next series of investors are going to take them the rest of the way. Uh, but I'm setting them up to more of those companies to take that jump. This show is brought to you by Frontlines Media, a podcast production studio that helps B2B founders launch, manage, and grow their own podcast. Now, if you're a founder, you may be thinking, I don't have time to host a podcast. I've got a company to build. Well, that's exactly what we built our service to do. You show up and host, and we handle literally everything else. To set up a call to discuss launching your own podcast, visit frontlines.io slash podcast. Now, back to today's episode. And because you're backing, let's say, you know, scientists, I'm sure that doesn't necessarily mean they're going to be good company builders and, you know, they're not built to be founders necessarily. What do you do to prepare them for that journey? And, and what do you do to really, really help them, you know, nurture those skill sets that are required to build a company? Because I have to imagine they're very different skill sets from what they've been trained on previously. Yep. I think it's in the same way where developer, not every developer can be a great CEO, right? There's a lot of developers who just work. I think that there are scientists who are great in the average lab, but, but they're great ones, the great scientists, you know, that's what I'm looking for. And those with the top biotech companies the last decade, Ernest Quist and uh, Solugen, they're all, you know, been taken to a multi-billion dollar valuation. The scientists, you know, all the way through, you know, public companies during us one dollar stuff, right? And so I love and when you're looking at all these pitch decks and you know evaluating these opportunities are there any red flags that you commonly see where you look at and say okay yep definitely not going to pursue that deal do any red flags come to mind it's hard to do and advice to find the paranoia of, it's hard to catch those at my stage because sometimes the proof of concept looks promising and it's hard to tell and the, the founder looks compelling. And so I wasn't, I didn't get pitched to that company. I didn't see it, but it's, I the curiosity of, to think through if the next Theranos came through, would I miss it or not? And so I have to kind of figure out some of those red flags. I think it's the same as anything else going through all the angels that made the advisory agreements I made. In the vast, vast majority of people in the startup network are good and are doing it for good reasons. It's really hard that 
going through a multi-year process to get to where you are is difficult by itself and it's really hard to fake. And so I think that the three FTX or Theranos, there's thousands and thousands and thousands of companies that are doing good work. And so I just try not to worry about it as much as possible on that side. If you've got somewhere between a red flag and just normal things that I don't love, something that would make me say no to a deal is definitely if I don't feel like the scientist can be a great CEO, that is a key factor for me in picking the company. How do you know if someone will be a good CEO? Is there like any indicators that you look for? The speed of the way they uh, fix and correct based on feedback, I mean, it's key even in the meetings themselves, right? And so if things are going well or poorly, being able to adjust on the fly, I think is really key. You can find a founder will kind of have changed their mind completely in a 30-minute meeting if they're really sharp and so and asking extracting that value out of me is also just another factor of it is that every time i see them they're picking up and going faster and in an airport long before they start the company so i've eaten them for a year or two or three before they've tried my writing free and seen me or so yeah who i am they so they come to me this happened to me a couple of times in the last week, where it's the first week of the company founding, and then they're already talking, they're already trying to figure out how can we do funding. And so I want to be able to catch that early, but then I only see one, two data points. So the challenge is trying to find as quickly as possible. It's like, what's the trajectory? And in the best founders, you can really see it in 30 minutes or less. And given everything that's happening in the market today and just the, the state of the market, what are those conversations like with the founders that you're investing in and, and what are you advising them to do? So right now it's still hard to get the full uh, 250 to 500K that some of these founders need. Uh, so that's in that dispatch. Sometimes I'm trying to figure out ways for them to be more creative with it where they find a way to raise 50 or 100K at a lower valuation. I think safes are very good for that. So uh, Lockheed created the safe note, and so there's a way to set a, a cap on the valuation and invest in companies. And so the way Y Combinator always recommended it is you should have high resolution funding. So if you wanted to take your first investor at a $2 million valuation, the second investor at a three, and the third at a four, you might be able to get 100 or 200K raise much faster than if you tried to raise 250K at a $5 million valuation at all the same price. And maybe it's actually fair that the first out of five investors who invested actually does get another two or three because they have to commit first. They have to write the check first. Maybe they sent you the money first. Maybe you already got started with your work two, three, four, five months earlier. And so if you can kind of shape the round and make high resolution, that's one way to bridge this funding gap that is especially tough in biotech because the, I'm seeing a lot of these companies that then spend six, 12, 18 plus months raising that first 250. And then they're not working during that time. So I want them to raise as little as possible, get started. And then if rolling close to see the rest, do that. And final question here for you. What types of opportunities are you looking for today? Are there any specific market opportunities or specific problems that you're especially excited about trying to solve? I would love to see more on the late state clinical trial work. Uh, so with AI, a lot of discovery and AI work is in really focus on the beginning of the pipeline. So how many targets, how many potential drugs can we create? And so we're kind of like filling the top of the funnel. But the kind of the fundamental clinical trial pipeline still has a lot 
a lot of falling out at phase two, phase three with the safety, the efficacy and the safety. And so if we get to model more of the safety and efficacy with time, that I think is going to be extremely valuable. I would love to see more industrial biotech applications. I think chemistry to biology is a transition that's going to be massive in the next years. And so things that we, you know, things from plastics to oil uh, to the new energy sources being able to be created through biotech is going to be extremely valuable. Just for the world, it's going to be amazing. And we need more of those things. I think this is the really big point for biotech 2.0. And so in both the kind of pharmaceutical and industrial and agriculture and all of these factors, being able to see those 2.0 companies is what I'm most searching for. So 2.0 and inside the CEO is the intersection and at the earliest date. Amazing. Well, we are up on time here, so we'll have to wrap. Before we do, if any founders want to get in touch with you, where's the best place for them to go? So on Twitter, I'm at Neil Thanedar. My website is neilthanedar.com. And so I've written over 100 blog posts about all different topics. So if you're interested about it, just DM me on Twitter and happy to chat. Amazing. Neil, thank you so much for taking the time to chat. Really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. This episode of Category Visionaries is brought to you by Frontlines Media, Silicon Valley's leading podcast production studio. If you're a B2B founder looking for help launching and growing your own podcast, visit frontlines.io slash podcast. And for the latest episode, search for Category Visionaries on your podcast platform of choice. Thanks for listening and we'll catch you on the next episode.